Hello and welcome to Splatter Chatter, where October never dies. Uh, that over there is Miss Melmoy. Oh. She's going to be one of your hosts. <laughs> Doing it the other way around. Yeah, I twisted it on you. Oh boy. Oh boy. And me over here is Mr. Craigers, and I'm going to be the other host. And tonight is episode 55, and it is the second in a three-part series we are doing on Harvest Horror in honor of fall-type season. You know. You know the one. (laughs) You know the one. Uh, In our first of the series, uh, the last regular episode, episode 54, we covered 1973's The Wicker Man. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. Um, We covered it well. And we covered it with all sorts of gooey goodness. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) Oh, boy. Um, And tonight we're going to be taking a look at the 1984 film adaptation of Stephen King's Children of the Corn. Yes. Yes which is a um, personal uh, favorite of Miss Mel's, I believe. I do love it. Yes. And so it's going to be a fun, corn-filled, husking sort of time for everybody involved. We did not throw the corn at Bates Motel, they told us We did not, not throw the corn at Bates Motel. And speaking of Bates Motel, um, it's time for our horror headlines and perhaps we'll just kind of give a little overview of our Halloween weekend. Yeah. Which hopefully you guys all listening had a great Halloween weekend and a Halloween as well. Um, if you don't know, Miss Mel and I spent Halloween weekend together along with um, our other friends, including a friend of the show, Miss Colleen, who you might remember from the video games episode. Yes. And we spent it at Miss Mel's place in Philly. And we did all sorts of fun spook things, including our trip to um, the Bates Motel and Haunted Hayride, a local haunt in Philly. Yeah. And, um, yeah. What what did we do there? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was cold as fuck, first of all. It was cold as fuck, wasn't it? It was. Uh, And it was raining. um, Nipples could cut glass out there. (laughs) It was very chilly. Um, They have three haunts there. Um, but unconventional to like what a lot of people do. They've got a hayride, they've got like a corn maze, and they've got like a traditional like haunted house walkthrough. Um, it's been around for almost 30 years. That's insane. Yeah, no. And it's, it's huge, you know, cause it's situated on a farm and I think the farm might still do some farm things when Bates Motel isn't around. Yeah. Um, but it's situated on a farm kind of down near Westchester, which is a little bit south of Philadelphia. and um, It's like the worst of the Chesters. It's like the worst of the Chesters. <laughs> the people who did Bates Motel are the ones who do Penhurst and, and run and own that haunt. Um, I will say, like, Bates, the, the production value at Bates Motel is obnoxious. Through the roof. It's very good. Yeah. It was very good. I think it was most noticeable in the Hayride. Yeah. Which we did first. Um, I don't know if that was like the intended order. It seemed like you could just kind of hop around. Yeah. But we did the hayride first and it was really interesting because, um, they had lots of different scenes, right? It sort of wasn't just one running theme. Yeah. Like sometimes there were escaped asylum patients swarming around the tractor or another time we were in prehistoric times. And yeah, there were like that one was a weird one. Elder gods coming out of there the There was rocks. A, a Mad Max type scene. Yeah, it's like basically yeah. it was kind of like they just took you through little tableaus of like various things, horror things. Um, it was funny because like it first takes you through like this big like hellish gate looking type thing. And then once you go through there, you go through the asylum, and then you go to, like, a, a backwoods, like, hillbilly-type place, and there's chainsaws involved at one point, and there's a Bates Motel, like, recreation um, of the the movie. Um, there's a ton of stuff. It almost, it, at yeah. one point, when we went into the, like, Mad Maxi area, it felt like, kind of like that um, Backlot tour in Disney. Like, oh. that's... It's not quite that level, but 
Yeah. It was... No, uh, I no, I could see that, though. Yeah. Oh, and the best part was the very end. Oh, yeah. The very end. Was, that was cool. Yeah. Um, we were met by the Headless Horseman on a horse. <laughs> on a horse. <laughs> and headless. And headless. <laughs> Jack-o'-lantern tucked under the arm as we were going under a covered bridge. He just yeah. kind of walked next to us. Well, it was very creepy. Yeah. Um, that was a really cool touch. And then the second haunt was um, a haunted maze. Yes. And the maze was called Revenge of the Scarecrow. Which got at Mr. Kreger's edges. <laughs> yes, it did. I Scarecrows creep me out. They always have. I had this recurring dream. Not like debilitating recurring, <laughs> but like... It's several a waking times, nightmare he has Several constantly. times in my youth I had a, a nightmare that involved a scarecrow. Um, and I just always found them creepy. But kind of drawn to their fun stories as well. And they were creepy in the maze, for sure. Some creepy moments. Um, but I made it. Um, again, good sets, great production values. Um, pretty cool. They, they got, they, I got got in there a little bit because the scarecrow people basically just would come out of the corn at you. Yeah. Um, when you could never quite tell if they were prop scarecrows or real scarecrow or, no, you know, or they were actor scarecrows. Yeah, it was freaky stuff. And there was like the one, the the two hogs and the guy getting like oh, that was quartered. a wild scene. Yeah, there was this guy hanging upside down who was basically getting quartered by like his arms were tied to two hogs that were like fighting over him. So it's yeah. wild. That's what happens when you piss off Pumbaa. <laughs> Pumbaa uh. and his and his friend. Yeah, um, and then. How did that end? Oh, uh, the chainsaws, of course. Yeah, we got chainsawed. It's like a nice little massage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the final haunt was a traditional haunted house um, set up as um, the Bates Motel itself and the Bates uh, Mansion. Yeah. Um, And that was good, too. I got got a good couple times in there. Yeah. Yeah, that was a good one sneaky tactics and, and what have you. Yeah. Um, and then we treated ourselves to some hot chocolate. And yeah, we did, because it was cold as fuck. It was cold as shit. Yeah, we didn't linger too, too, too much. Um, but they had a nice little setup going. Three great haunts, good production value. Um, I don't... I think they're done now. I think yeah. as, as of this episode, they're closed for the season. Yeah. Check them out next year. Um, we give it a recommend, right? Yeah, oh man, yeah, it's a good one. Um, and then, you know, our weekend was full of all other fun things, costuming and, um, quaint fall village shopping with, uh, <laughs> quaint. yummy themed cocktails and, um, lots of scary movies. We, we showed... Our friends, Miss Mel and I, showed them The Babysitter, which <laughs> you may recall we watched for Booze and Booze, I think number four, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we remembered, of course, just how wonderful and enjoyable that movie happens to be. And we watched uh, some other things here and there, including uh, Stephen King's Rose Red. Yes. First time I saw that. Yeah, that was the first time for Miss Mel. Nice, campy 90s miniseries. And um, a good time was had by all. And now we're going to talk about another Stephen King property. Children of the Corn. Corn. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But before we dive in, assuming Miss Mel's technology works, we're going to take a listen to the trailer. Every child is afraid of the dark, the unknown. The nightmare in Gatlin, Nebraska. That nightmare is in the corn. <laughs> Stephen King's Children of the Corn. Praise God! Praise the Lord! Stephen King, the author of Carrie, The Shining, The Dead Zone, and Christine, an adult nightmare. Children of the Corn. I'm here, Lord! 
Stephen King's Children of the Corn, an adult nightmare. Okay. <laughs> so, Children of the Corn. Yeah. Well, Miss Mel, as this, from what I understand, is a movie that is near and dear to your heart. <laughs> for some reason, that's <laughs> do you that. want to do you want to kick things off for us? Uh, yeah, I can. So, um, I just you know I love gathering the family together and having a good old watch of Children of the Corn, near and dear to the heart. Um, so Children of the Corn is a 1984. Well, the film came out in 1984. Um, the short story came out in 1977. Damn. Um, yeah, in uh, Stephen King's Night Shift, which is his first collection of short stories, uh, it was directed by Fritz Kirsch. Uh, it starred Peter Horton, Linda Hamilton, mm-hmm. which is always a weird one for me, John Franklin, yeah. Courtney Gaines, Robbie Kiger, Anne Marie McAvoy, and Julie Maddalena. Um, and it is set in, we're out of New England. Uh, let's start there. Yeah. Um, although I think they're from New England. Like, like, I feel like we should ring a bell or something every time that happens first. <laughs> I think they might be from New England heading like to family or something in the, at least in the short story in the movie. Yeah. It is different. So we'll do the movie and then we'll talk about the short stories. The movie. Right. They're, um, they're, I know they're going to see. They're going to. Yeah. I don't know where they're coming from. They're going but, to the West coast for yeah. different reasons in the movie and the. And the short story. And the short story. But in the movie, uh, Bert and his girlfriend, Vicky, um, are traveling out to... I think they're going to California. It's going definitely... To it's somewhere they're going the, somewhere on the West Coast because Bert is starting his residency. And I guess there was no hospitals near where he's from on the other side of the country. There's not a hospital on the East Coast. But um, he, he graduated medical school and they're headed out West. Um in search of, you know, fame and fortune and his residency. Um, and they decide that they're going to uh, kind of take the scenic route, road trip it in their car, and uh, just do it that way. So they're on their way, and um, they basically... Oh, they are going to Seattle. There we go. Look at that. Oh, and the movie, too? Yeah, they are going to oh, Seattle. Okay. I don't know why I thought they were going to California. Um, but yeah, so... Maybe on because the- that's just, like, the general, like... Yeah, going west, people you know, go west. They go to like California, Hollywood, LA. This is interesting though, because this is the second time Seattle has come up in the weekend for me with Stephen King. So clearly, that's his his West Coast. Right, he must have New like England. spent time there. I don't know. Um, but as these things are wont to do, uh, Bert and Vicky have some car trouble. Um, they, in their attempt to take a scenic route before the time of Syrian ways. Um, find themselves sort of deviating off the main highway towards a place called Gatlin because they think, oh, Gatlin's got to have gas and mechanic and we can fix our car right up. Wrong. Incorrect. Uh, incorrect. Incorrect. Zero. I guess, well, so we'll get into the prologue, even though the prologue comes before all of this. Right. We'll just proceed. We'll, we'll, we'll talk from about what it. Bert and Vicky know. Yes. What's so, their perspective? Yes. So, tell us, Mr. Kruger's, what happens when they decide to turn down the road towards Gatlin? Right. So, they head on in to, to Gatlin. And so, we get this moment, right, where they see the sign and they're like, wait, we just saw a sign a mile back that was pointing in a different direction. So, we've already had clues that, like, something is off, right? Yeah. You know. And they have, you know, the... um Harbinger of doom, all of that, the mechanic, blah, blah, blah. Everything happens. So they're in Gatlin. They're basically looking for any sign of life. Um, We get a moment where they sort of see some kids as they attempt to steal the car. And Bert's like, ah, kids. (laughs) (laughs) Stealing your car. And Sarah's like, um, what? Or Vicky, rather. Sorry. Um, and then Sarah they, Connor. Sarah, <laughs> this Connor. takes place in the Terminator universe, actually. Could you imagine? This, this is like what she's doing in the office. Between Judgment Day 
<laughs> or between the first one and Judgment Day, Judgment but after Day. John got taken away by like social services, <laughs> yeah, she's like, "Well, let me just uh, hook up with Bert here." <laughs> and so um, they find uh, they they basically, and Vicky points this out. Bert just sort of like walks into a house um, <laughs> when they can't find anybody. Well, so <laughs> wait a minute. Oh, sorry. We forgot a crucial thing. In addition to the the reason for the car trouble and the reason they go looking for people is because a child walks into the street. Oh, right. Oh, yes, 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 yes. So tell us that. So the whole, yes, the whole reason they need to stop instead of keep powering through to the grand old West Coast is because as they're driving and being, whatever, all coupley, even though they're like, he's like, Definitely, like, kind of abusive. Whatever. No, yeah, he is. In the book, is, or in the short story there, the relationship is way worse. Yeah, they tone it down. But anyway, um, they, hit a, they hit something with the car. And Vicky has this moment where she's like, please tell me that was an animal. <laughs> Vicky's shooting from the hip. Yeah. Um, and so... Bird gets out and he discovers that unfortunately it wasn't an animal. It was a child, um, a young boy who will later learn his name was Joseph. But then Bert notices something strange and it's that, um, okay, yeah, Joseph was hit with the car and that wasn't ideal, <laughs> but um, his throat had been cut beforehand. Which definitely wasn't the car's doing. <laughs> So they place the boy in uh, the trunk, you know, nice and ceremonious and respectful. <laughs> and um, Bert has he kind of walks around and he's looking for anybody. Is there someone else? A parent? Uh, another kid? The person who hurt this child? And he finds uh, a suitcase. And so they take that with them in the car as well. We. You know, it's implied through the cinematography that someone's watching them. Vicky remarks that she feels like they're being watched from the corn. Um, huh. and, then, and then they head off. And that's when we get our sort of classic scene with the mechanic, the harbinger of doom. You don't, you don't need to go to Gatlin. Go on to, to Hemingford. Hemingford Home, mm-hmm. another Stephen King reference. Um, if you know the stand. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, then they're in town. They're looking for somebody, anybody. They kind of see the kids. They start wandering around outside the car, and then they find the the house. Just the, when they like break and enter, essentially. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or well, Vicky. No, they both. No, they both find the house. They both find the house. Yeah, and when and they find Bert's kind of just more eager to go in. Yeah, than she is because they're walking yeah. around town. And it's very decrepit and. Yes, it's, it's like, yeah, it's not just that there like are people outside. It's that, like, um, it's clear that buildings and houses and things haven't been um, kept up with, and uh, establishments are abandoned and unlived in. It's it's a ghost town. Yeah. Um, so they go into the house and they go upstairs and they find a little girl. Um, I don't remember her name. Something biblical. Sarah or something. Ruth. Sarah, okay. Here, Ruth? there's the Sarah. <laughs> is it Sarah or is it Ruth? Um, hold on. Oh, I think it is actually Sarah. Is it? Maybe. Okay. I might also yeah, be yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's Sarah. Yeah. Um, and she was in the house. She was in the house with her little friend. Um, uh, I can't remember his name. Joe. Joe. Um, and so there they have this moment where they're like, oh, look, a, a kid, but we need an adult. <laughs> and, and, you know, Sarah's probably thinking, yeah, me too. So then Bert is like, okay, you guys stay here. I'm going to continue searching um, the town and try and find someone, you know, who's hit puberty. <laughs> Nope. We don't do that here. Nope. And as he's wandering the town, he comes across um, a group of children being led by a young boy, or 
I'm a teenager, uh, Malachi. Malachi. Yes. And they have an interaction and it doesn't go well. It's not the best interaction. It's not the best interaction. And at the end of it, it results in Vicky being captured by Malachi and taken to the cornfield where she is tied on a stock and hoisted into the air. Yeah. Um, now, what's going on in this cornfield? Why has Vicky been captured, Miss Mel? What, so, what do they want with her? There's a lot of things going on. Um, during... So the... The prologue, well, so during Bert's, like, little rummaging through the, the town, he stumbles across a, when he finds the people have hit puberty, they're in a church where, you know, all the Jesus eyes in the pictures have been, like, blotted out, and, like, they've got a corn, like, effigy and all this stuff, and this this dude is, like, turning 18, and it was, like, they're doing a rich, some sort of ritual, and like Bert stops it when he sees that they're like cutting the cutting it into like in, in a symbol into his chest. Yeah. Um, and he's like, "What are you doing?" You know, and he was freaking out, and he does that that Bert thing where he freaks out, and he's like, "What?" Are you? you know, and he grabs kids and stuff. Um, Bert's very handsy. <laughs> he's very hands on. Um, it was the eighties. It was the eighties. But basically what we learn, we put together from the prologue, from what Job and Sarah tell us, and from what Bert sees in his unpleasant scuffle with Malachi, is that the kids in the town have, like, just rebelled. Um, one day they all decide, Malachi and some of the older ones, I guess, which, how old is Malachi? Because he's got to be, like... I th- I think he's like really close. I think he's eighteen, seventeen or eighteen. Yeah. Um, when you turn eighteen or nineteen, I guess is like when basically you're sacrificed to he who walks behind the rose because you're too old. You have to be a kid. right. You're too old. But basically, Isaac, um, this little dude, leads this child uprising in Gatlin, and they kill all the adults, and they take super biblical names, and they start worshiping this this deity demon figure they call he who walks behind the rose and they do all of those things and everyone listens to isaac because isaac is you know the the messianic leader and stuff and malachi is kind of like the muscle guy um Mm -hmm. and they utilize our harbinger of doom um mechanic man to keep people away like his job is to keep people away from the town he failed when the out outlander as malachi always screams he says Outlander. Uh, when the Outlanders, the Outsiders, came into town. So they end up killing the mechanic as punishment. But basically, the kid at the beginning, Joseph, had packed a little suitcase because he was planning to run away and get help. And Malachi found out and slit his throat and then pushed him into the road. And that's when we hit him. Um, mm-hmm. But they've got Vicky corned up and ready to go next to the very decrepit skeleton of... Um, they call him the blue man, I guess, but it's a police officer. A police officer, um, yeah. Where she will be a sacrifice to he who walks behind the rose. Uh, right. Tonight. That's exactly right. And so, and and because because he who walks behind the rose is a blood god, yes. you know, and and um, the children have have sacrificed all of the adults to him in order to have a good crop because yeah. they had a they had a bad crop and the town was already super religious. And they were just trying regular prayer, and that didn't work. How to amp it up. So Isaac was like, well, let me try this real quick. <laughs> and according to the children, it worked. Yes. So so Vicky is uh, prepared to be sacrificed. And, um, you know, Bert's running around. He's, you know, he's had this encounter at the church with, with the boy who is going to be a willing sacrifice because now he's turned uh, 19. Um, we can tell because from his chest hair. Yes. <laughs> and um, so it's just like it sacrifices everywhere. Bert's trying to um, do what he needs to do. But he ends up getting stabbed by a girl named Rachel. Um, oh, yeah. Rachel, who's like very much once Malachi's D. Yeah. Yeah, but, and then but I'm even though I'm pretty sure like the boy who's getting sacrificed is her boyfriend, 
But I guess if he's going to die, you know, <laughs> she's <laughs> going to need a replacement. Um, so um, Bert's in a sticky situation after he gets stabbed, obviously, because um, that does give the children advantage over him, even though he's a grown man. Um, he He's fleeing, but they're coming after him. Malachi's coming after him. Um, and he's rescued by uh, Job. Uh, Sarah, little Sarah's brother, um, and they they hide out in like a barn siloish sort of basement thing, um, and and figure out where Vicky is being you know held in the ceremonial corn circle. Now, as they're plotting to you know rescue Vicky and and get the um, get the kids out of town and, and stop the nonsense. There's a schism that occurs among the the children of the corn because Isaac is angry at Malachi for what he calls um, a betrayal, Uh, not basically not listening to the will of he who walks behind the rose, who speaks to Isaac as um, sort of like the high priest of this child cult. Um, I think Mal- he was angry at him for killing Joseph is what it was. Oh, is he angry? he's angry about that. Yeah. yeah. And he's angry because Malachi says, oh, let's just sacrifice the woman, the girl, but Isaac. It's, or it's one way or the other. Ma- Malachi wants them to sacrifice both of them. And I think Isaac is like, well, well we could just sacrifice Vicky. Or- yeah. Cause he's first angry at Malachi because he killed Joseph and he was like, you brought them to us because you did it stupidly and not didn't do it the way that he who walks behind the rose would have done it and we probably mm-hmm. should have sacrificed him to there but you were like greedy and stuff. So then they, they, they've they already got that tussle and then yeah. it's a tussle of who should we sacrifice? Right. Who should we sacrifice and what's going on? So they kind of come to this little spat you know, and, and Isaac's accusing Malachi of not understanding things and being out of line. And Malachi's like, you've lost favor with he who walks behind the rose. This is clearly what that represents. I think I should be in charge. And he initiates a successful coup against Isaac and convinces the children to replace him as the sacrifice instead of Vicky. Um, but Vicky will still be kept and, and killed later. Um, and Isaac starts ranting and raving and he's like, you can't sacrifice me because I'm the, the link. I'm the conduit with he who walks behind the rose. And if you do that, he's going to be pissed and he's going to punish all of you. Um, and Malachi is like, suck it. (laughs) (laughs) Isaac's very small. He's a very small fellow. Yeah. He's like 12. I have to like. And I don't super remember from the short story and it doesn't go into it at all in the, the film, but like you get the feeling and I feel like because Malachi is older and he's probably only got a couple months to a year left before he turns 19 and he's too old. I feel like that was a big reason of why he initiated this coup and tried to take control. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you feel like, Oh, my time's probably almost over in this little in the world we got going. <laughs> but like if I can usurp control, I can save myself. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a there's there's layers. In the in the short story he was pretty complicit. Like he was chill with it. Um he wasn't like the big buff scary guy that he was in um the movie. But he was about to turn 19 in the short story, in the short story and yeah. was about to be um, sacrificed. They kind of like split that character, I guess. Yeah. Um, into, you know, like the Malachi of the film and then the other, the, the other boy, Rachel's boyfriend, yeah. uh, Amos, I think. Yeah. Um, so then it comes time for the grand plan, right? And Bert um, becomes, you know, the last action hero, and he sneaks into the ritual to rescue Vicky, and is 
more or less successful. He doesn't have to do all that much. He just kind of like runs out with a bat and like smacks Malachi. <laughs> and then, and then, and then Vicky's like free and he's like, go to the car. <laughs> go in and the she, car. And it's so funny because she just like kind of like walks over to the corners and looks back at him and he's just like, go. And she's like, okay. Okay. She's like walks away. <laughs> they just so let weird. her walk away. They do. None of the other kids like move or do anything. God. Um, and of course, Isaac is still tied up and like strung up on the um, sacrificial altar. Yeah. And then something strange happens. Mm. Do you want to tell us about what happens? So Malachi, no. Isaac's doing his high pitched screaming. Um, it's so high pitched. But it's weird because he's also not. He sounds like a child who started smoking at the age of five and has a child's smoker voice. Yeah. Like, it's very bizarre. It's probably yeah. also why he was cast. But um, Yeah, probably. He, uh, so he's strung up there and he's screaming and he's like, you know, d- doing his didactic fire and brimstone stuff. And then the wind starts to pick up. And there's this swirling sort of um, misty type thing coming up out of the corn and hovering over it and like swirling towards them and think like classic 80s special effects yeah like i'm pretty sure there's a little bit of lightning that was used in return of the jedi um (laughs) so this is happening and you know uh isaac screaming and it like kind of just swallows him up and sucks him into the corn um and it's quiet for a second it's like oh okay chill and you know it's like okay like back to Burton Malachi not so fast because out walks a now completely like zombified corpse demonic version of Isaac who's got a very different voice now um who just you know opens his mouth and he's like Malachi he wants you to and then he attacks Malachi and like breaks his neck strangles him and drags him into the into the corn. So Malachi gets eaten up too by he who walks behind the rose. He's taken both of them. Yes, but the man who walks behind the corn, he who walks behind the corn, is still pretty pissed. Yeah. Uh, it's not over. <laughs> it's not over. Um, and because Bert has, you know, through his, like, grand speech, been able to dismantle the cult. <laughs> and convince the rest of the children that it's fucking stupid. What they're doing is is wrong, and you know, a true religion doesn't ask you to hurt anyone, um, and some other sort of very cliche things. And so they're all like, okay, and they leave. Um, but yes, he who walks behind the rose is pissed. It's lost all of its followers. And it's two main leaders. <laughs> when you die, you lose all your followers on Instagram. Damn. Oh, my God. And so a storm appears that seems supernatural in origin. And at first it's over the cornfield, and then it gradually begins to spread over the whole town. And so Vicky and Bert and Job and Sarah are trying to hide in the barn, but it's, um, it's not enough. No. And, uh, yeah, and Job... Uh, talks about some some story from before the um, the kids murdered everybody, and that leads them to a passage in the Bible that's uh, where it gives them the idea that they need to burn the cornfield because that's where he who walks behind the rose lives and draws its power, and that will uh, stop the demon, and then they'll be able to escape. So, um, Bert. That's about, yes. That he just has? Yeah, it, he, he kind of comes out of nowhere. There's like a brief like, oh, here's some gasoline, um, and then here's my Molotov cocktail. <laughs> and you, you're, you don't It's quite... like a cooking show when they put like the messy <laughs> ingredients into an oven you know isn't on. Isn't and on. And then ten minutes later they pull it out and it's like yeah. somebody has cooked it for them. <laughs> it's like that. Oh, yeah. That's exactly right. And so, as you can imagine, what happens when a Molotov cocktail is unleashed, um, boom! <laughs> and fire! And, it's like and, the exploding cars from uh, Rose Red, because a rock hit it, and it exploded. <laughs> boom. 
It's <laughs> basically what happens in the cornfields. I mean, pretty much. But, so, um, yes. Yeah, yeah, no. so, well, then they got to make their getaway. Right. Um, but, but, well, they go back to the car and the car, it doesn't work anymore, which I don't know why he was surprised that it wasn't working anymore because he sees it earlier and the children have stuffed it with corn stalks. <laughs> so you so, get the feeling they probably fucked with it a little bit. Yeah. And, um, I guess while confirming that the car in fact does not work anymore, uh, Rachel, who has not given up her culty ways and is hiding in the back seat, attacks Bert with a, um, what you call it? A sickle? A scythe? 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 One of them, Skype. one of the, the things that the Grim Reapers always have. Yeah, one of those. Um, and he overpowers her relatively easily. <laughs> I love this. And she's like, she lunges for her. He smacks her in the head with the car door, and then she's just down. <laughs> it's like, oh, she's out cold. <laughs> and Vicky's like, let's just go. <laughs> let's just be done with this. Yeah. Um, so and she says, like, okay, we'll send her a get well card from Seattle or from the hospital or something. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then so they just kind of start walking away and they make these like cute little jokes about how Bert and Vicky are going to um, let Job and Sarah stay with them for a couple days. And then how about a week? Okay. How about a month? Okay. And suddenly they have two kids. It's like, yeah, the forming of this little all-American family unit. And they um, walk off into the night or the probably the sunrise because that's thematic. Um, and they have escaped Gatlin. And all is well. Um, until the sequel. Until the sequel. And that, is, and that is Children of the Corn. Yes, but. <laughs> uh, do you want to just give our listeners the briefest of overviews about the franchise that this original film spawned? So, like, I think this kind of basically got, was on the tail end of, like, the, like, evil child craze of the 70s. So, in which, you know, as you will recall with all the, you know, like, Omen sequels, like, those, like, begot sequels, like, it was their job. Um, mm -hmm. And it's interesting, because I guess you expect slashers to have sequels at this point, like, that's just the way it works, but, like, you know, the, like, I guess the Omen ended in such a way, like, oh, you could say it's a sequel, but for whatever reason, people loved making sequels out of these, like, evil children films. Absolutely. Which is so weird to me because I'm like... The kids are going to grow up. <laughs> yes. Yes. The, the, the linchpin of your, your creep factor, the creepy kids, kids grow so fast. I mean... Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. So I've never really dove in too much. I want to say there's nine sequels. Or there's nine films in total of the, the franchise. Um, <clears throat> I yeah. do know that one is called Malachi's Revenge, but it's like there's the no. fifth one. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, here I have, are you ready? Yes. Okay. So now, interestingly, there was a fair gap between sorry, the first, Isaac's return, the second one, um, oh, Church yeah. of the Corn 2, the final sacrifice did not come out until 1992. Interestingly enough, um, that's a... It's an eight-year gap. It's different between. characters. And it takes yeah, place in Hemingford. Like, um, there's there's nobody, I think, character-wise. No. From the the first movie that shows up in this one, I'm yeah. pretty sure. No. Um, I've only seen the second one once, so. Maybe twice, actually. But whatever. Um, three years after that, in 1995, we had Children of the Corn 3, Urban Harvest. <laughs> <laughs> You know, um, and once again, uh, all new characters, um, to my knowledge. Yeah. A, and, um, this is the one I think where they really sort of started expanding the mythology. Yeah. There's like the magic corn, I believe shows up in this one. This was a, and this is where they started the direct-to-video releases. The final sacrifice was in theaters, oh, but right. everything after that was direct-to-video or television. So you can imagine, not to say that everything direct-to-video is, but usually in this time period, direct-to-video is 
pretty low quality. Yeah. yeah. Um, only a year later, we had Children of the Corn 4, The Gathering. Um, and this is a, one of those great uh, movies where you can go to see some now A-list faces. Um, Naomi make, Watts. Naomi Watts is in this one. She's she's actually the star of this movie, um, and uh, stars alongside uh, Karen Black, actually, <laughs> which uh, is <laughs> always fun to see her. Yeah. Pop. Nope, there she is. <laughs> there she is. Um, two years later, 1998 brings us Children of the Corn Five: The Fields of Terror. Um, sure. Yeah. Sure. This is the one. No, this is not the one. That's the next one where. I return. Oh, yes, because, yes, a year later in 1999, Children of the Corn 666, you know, I6 return. Um, which, as might be implied, is the return of Isaac, who is all played once again by John Franklin, interestingly enough. Yeah. Um, which, fun fact, in, when they filmed the original Children of the Corn, um, John Franklin, who played 12-year-old Isaac, was 24. Nuts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess if you're already an adult, your features probably aren't going to change that much. So, <laughs> I guess I'll bring him back. Nice. Yeah. Um, two years later... Oh, he played Cousin It in the Adams Family as well. Huh. Yeah. What do you know? Yeah. <laughs> Good job. Um, 2001 is Children of the Corn 7, Revelation. Um, then eight years later in 2009 was a made-for-TV remake you know. of the original film. Um, or a... Uh, I mean, yeah, I guess a remake of the film. Yeah. Or just another... Or just another an updated adaption. Of, yeah. Um, adaptation of the of the short story and um, that aired on I think sci-fi uh, but I'm not sure maybe <laughs> um, if not they probably rerun it all the time if they didn't originally air it is my guess um, so again kind of a large gap it seemed after Revelation People were, were kind of done until this made-for-TV remake of the original story, which seemed to kickstart things again. Because two years later, in 2011, we had Children of the Corn 8, uh, Genesis. I have no idea what happens in that one. I've not seen it. And uh, just um, this year, we had Children of the Corn 9, Runaway. You know. You know. So that's nine films in the franchise plus one remake for a total of ten Children of the Corn movies out there for you guys. So if you don't have enough husking in your life, there's plenty. <laughs> more corn. Like, more cowbell, more corn. Um, yeah, the 1977-78, depending on... It was published first in a magazine, and then it was collected a year later into Night Shift. But um, short story is, as you might imagine, shorter. Um, Bert and Vicky are um, like an old married couple um, who are... Oh, this is why I thought they were going to California, because they're going out there for vacation in the book. Uh, I thought he was going out there for okay. school. I conflated it. So they're going out there for vacation and like trying to save yeah. their marriage and stuff, like pretty bad and know? in the movie it's medical school yeah and they're just yeah. they're like a much younger couple they're younger just dating um and of course you know as they're like trying to figure their way out through rural nebraska and fighting about directions and the map and who is telling who to go where um they accidentally hit a kid um and they realize as in the movie his throat's been cut um but they see he's got a suitcase with like corn husks inside and little dolls made out of corn um in addition to like his clothes so they're like oh shit we have to go find the authorities um as they do in the movie um and they realize the closest like urban center is grand island nebraska um mm. which is 70 miles away um and they're like they're you know bert's like no it's gonna look really fishy if we take his body so far away from the 
the scene. Like, we don't know what happened. They're going to, like, he gets very paranoid and, like, he's like, no, like, they're going to think we did something. Um, so they decide to go to Gatlin instead because it's a lot closer. Um, and they find it's abandoned. Um, of course, because this takes place, this was written in the 70s. It takes place in the 70s. So it was abandoned right. since 1964 which is 12 years before they're there in the movie. It's like, it's also short. It's only a three year. Yeah. It's only like a couple years difference here. It's been abandoned for over a decade. Um, they're not finding anyone. Um, until they like, they go to like, they, they go to find, um, they find a church basically instead of the house. It's a church because it seems to be the only thing that's kind of cared for, um, mm-hmm. in the house, in the, the town. So they go in, see if they can find a phone they argue some more they you know they're failing marriage um and vicky like threatens to drive off and leave burton gatlin if he won't just leave with her like and go find somebody um (laughs) she's like fuck this noise yeah no and they separate at this point because she gets pissed and like walks away and he goes in the church and that's where he finds all the fucked up shit and then he finds the kids doing their um their ritual and it's What's his name in the the one getting sacrificed in the movie? Amos. Amos uh, and some other, some of the sluts with him. And Malachi are the ones who have turned 19 and are about to like, you know, get it. You're too grown up. Um, so when he realizes what's going on, he hears a, the car horn is going off. Um, and he goes outside and finds kids dressed in what he describes as Amish style clothing um surrounding the car and like taking Vicky and doing that thing that they do um and you know they hoist her up and stuff and Bert gets chased by the other kids who aren't dragging her away um he ducks into the cornfield um where he notices you know like the corn something's wrong with the cornfield like there's no there's nothing growing there there's just like dead right. corn um so he's like, this is fucked up. I remember that part being really freaky. Yeah, like there's no, there's nothing else. There's no weeds growing there. There's literally just dead corn. Um, and then he eventually comes across the bodies of like a minister and a police officer um, who were like crucified in the cornfield. Um, and he attempts to like run away. And then corn is like popping up, like blocking his path. It's very freaky. Um and he's like he's trapped in the cornfield and he starts to realize something's in the corn with him and like he feels very threatened and he sees this monster come out of the cornfield. He describes it as having red eyes and stuff. Um and he takes off running. <clears throat> and he eventually gets out of the cornfield. Um the next day they're having their little ceremony. And um in this version, um like Bert and Vicky like just get it oh yeah because <laughs> mm-hmm. um, vicky um she like ends up being sacrificed yeah or, or the children killer yeah one of them um but yeah those two end up getting killed one way or another during this ceremony um <clears throat> and uh isaac's like pissed and doing his thing he's not actually that big of a character in the short story he's like mo- more talked about than anything else until this scene and he's like telling them, oh, they like failed to kill uh, Bird at first, and you know, like he was pissed about that. Um, and he who walks behind the rose is mad. Um, so what ends up happening is that he says that he who walks behind the rose has decreed that the age limit should be brought down to eighteen instead of nineteen. So now all the eighteen-year-olds have to die. Um, and um, they're like, okay, that's fine. Let's chill with us. Um, so. They all get up and go into the cornfield. Malachi's pregnant girlfriend. You know. Ruth. Um, you know, is like, oh, like she has this like, oh, it's for the Lord. And, you know, it's going to be great and fine. She's, you know, weeping and all this other shit. Um, if you were wondering how they kept their, you know, population going for 12 years. Uh, right. But um, basically it's, you know, she says this, but then Ruth does a turn. Where she reveals, like, how much she, like, despises their religion. And she's the one who burns the field down. Um, and basically, like, you know, everyone 
everyone gets, you know, the field's on fire. The field's um, on fire. Well, she's, she's going, I, I, does she do it or does she? It's like a scene where she. I don't remember her doing it. It's like a scene where she imagines doing it. it. Yeah. Yeah. But it doesn't actually happen because she's too scared to do it. Because at the end, there's that thing where it's like the corn is happy or something. Yeah. Like she she almost does it and then she doesn't do it. um, And everyone gets sacrificed. And it's just like, okay, this cycle will just begin again then. Um, But yeah. And uh, it ties in, as we mentioned, to the stand, which is. Right. I think Hemingford is nearby. Yeah. And he who walks behind the rose. Um, it's not super explicit in the story, but he is meant to be Randall Flagg, the man in black, the walking walk man. Dude, yeah. Walter O'Dim. Yeah. All, Paddock. all different names for the reoccurring uh, Mistopheles-esque. Mm. That was a difficult one. Uh, character um, who is the nemesis to the gunslinger um, and a servant of the Crimson King in the Stephen King macroverse. Messing exactly shit right. up in Gatlin, Texas. No, Nebraska. Not Texas. Nebraska. <laughs> not Texas. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting because, you know, there's like this kind of mini cycle, I guess, of like harvest horror as we mentioned, yeah. um, Harvest Home came out in like the 70s, I believe, as well. Um, and Rituals like in the late 60s. But this also like kind of marries that with the like evil child demonic kid thing that was big in the 70s with the Omen and with Rosemary's Baby and lots of other like B1s. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. So it's an interesting combo of genres it is and what i think is so interesting about children of the corn is that it it has such a following and such a high level of interest and so many sequels were made out of it but like the first movie wasn't particularly well received no and it's not particularly good no <laughs> I would not rank this among the the most well done horror films. No, and I'm like, this is fascinating, and I think it's because kind of like you were saying, like people like their corn based religious horror. Yeah, <laughs> that's eerie. Um, it's interesting too, is it takes place during the summer. It's not even like you think like something like this, like oh, it's like harvest time, like, let's do it. Like no, this takes place in like June. They're like prepping for the harvest. Yeah, um, yeah, it's it's Ameri- It's very like, um, and it's American folk horror too. And you know, like as the whereas the Wicker Man, you know, a little bit Scottish and like. I wonder yeah. if it had such an appeal at the time that it did, because like if we think about the early eighties, that was like, um, you know, everybody was concerned because it was like the mass death of the family farm. Right. Yeah. Uh, because it was like, that's the shift to sort of like aggressive state sponsored consolidation, um, agribusiness, yeah. you know? And I feel like that was maybe a fear that King tapped into at the time. Um, And so we've got this story that is sort of about like the uprooting of um, traditional like rural tradition. Traditional Uh, rural tradition. Traditional rural tradition. Word. Word. Words. Yeah, no, I could see that. It's interesting too. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I do. I very like. I can sit like it's like yeah, like it's the the devastation of like, you know, the the old farm town and like the fam the farm families and that sort of thing. Um, and like the reason the kids do it, it's you know, it's mentioned more in the short story than it is in the movie. Is that you know they had several bad harvests and they didn't know what to do, and the kids just took it into their own hands for whatever reason. Um, but it's interesting, like, if comparing it to the Wicker Man, where, like, their entire ideology is nature-based and pagan-based, and they, like, very much do what they do based on, like, their ancestors um, and sort of, like, 
Celtic paganism, whereas this is like super rooted in like a very didactic version of Christianity because um, they, they read from the Bible. Um, they like kind of merge the idea of like Jesus with like their corn gods and stuff. Right. Um, so it's like super, and it's like, I feel like that makes it very American. Like it's a very Americana um, horror story. Yeah, it is. I don't know that it would be super appealing for non-American viewers. Yeah. Um, just because it's just, like the, the, the culture isn't there. Right. We sort of have like the the background and everything that's sort of poured into this, right? And the, you know, the Bible Belt culture yeah. and... Um, Which they even, when Bert and Vicky are on their way into town, they're kind of making fun of it. Because the only stations right, they, they can keep pick up are the... Fire and brimstone yeah. creatures. Yeah. And yeah. they like make fun of it on their way into town. Yeah. Um... Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. It's also um, one of my favorite things in looking at movies. It's um, It did what all 80s movies love to do, which was that you could solve any problem with an explosion. <laughs> they discovered <laughs> explosions in the 80s. They were like, yeah. oh, we have budgets for this now. Yeah. Like, no matter what it is, oh, blow it up. Yeah. <laughs> all is well. It's fine. <laughs> Yes, no, it did very much do that, which, like, is a very also Stephen King ending. Like, I know that it ends differently than how it did in the short story, but it's still that it's like, okay, we it's don't know like what to do, keeping. blow it up. Yeah. Because um, that's basically what happened in The Shining, right? It was like, well, I don't know how to fix this, so we're just going to blow it up. <laughs> just boom it. Um, which, you know, they do. And I guess the only difference is, is that she doesn't go through with it in, in the short story, but the, mm. the intention is there. Yeah, um, and we get to see it realized on film. Yeah, but yeah, no, it's really it's not that good, and it's like I want to know how Linda Hamilton got involved with. I know with that because it would have been right around the time of Terminator, I believe, or was Terminator later? Let's uh, Terminator. This was Children of the Corn. Is what eighty four? Eighty four. Eighty four. So. Terminator was... Because Judgment Day was like 93. Um, 80, hold on. We'll figure this, it out. This is terrible. I should know this right <laughs> off the top of my head. I know when Judgment Day came out because I love Judgment Day. Oh, Terminator was 84. Oh, look at that. So she was pulling pulling double duty. She was, she was the hot... Let's see, like, truly down to the... Okay, Terminator was released on October 26th Halloween. of that year. Children of the Corn was released on March 9th. So it was first. Oh, this beat it. Interesting. What a so, year. Then Hamilton bookended the year with two very different. <laughs> <laughs> two very different films. Um, yeah, no. I mean, I just, I, I, I guess it's maybe even the summer thing because I always watch Children of the Corn like right when summer starts because I'm like, oh yeah, it's summer. And I used to remember being so jealous um, when I was watching it when I was younger and then like even into college because like he, his character Bird has just graduated and he's like, they do this whole sequence in their motel that they're staying in before they go into town where he's like singing that, you know, like school. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. I was like, oh, that must be so great for them until the rest of the movie. But I was like, oh, yeah, like school she being out. dance for him. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, school being out would be great right now. That would be great. Why can't I have it be out? It must have been even worse, imagine, seeing it in theaters in March in 84. Yeah, <laughs> you're like, I don't want to kill myself. Poor bastards were like, oh, um, fuck. But yeah, no, it's like, and I feel like more than anything, I mean, like, besides, you know, the fact that, you know, it's just, to me, I find it to be a very fun little little thing is that like I always get very oh, yeah. into like summer when summer hits I'm like it is it is the, the the horror upkick time I guess I don't even know maybe it's because of like Friday the 13th and Children of the Corn where it's like you know you do have these like summer summer horror hits or you know if you're like several Halloween sequels decide to just release in the summer for some reason right um I think even the the Rob Zombie ones released in like July or something stupid. That sounds right. Um, but yeah, no, I think it just has a has a feel to it that 
I I like it. It definitely it definitely does. Um, um, and it's very campy eighties. Um, it's it's very, very campy eighties. Very campy. The King. prologue is um pretty violent for the eighties. It is. Actually. Yeah, that's the and how you start. You just graphic. walk in and that's how you start. Yeah. Um, especially with um, the insinuation about how some of them, how some of the the adults got killed, is because they're in a diner and basically. You know, the kids are stabbing people. There's a blender involved at one point, I believe. Like Potential poison. Yeah. Yeah. So. It's very violent. Um, but it's, it's, it's interesting stuff. Yeah. So. No, I love me some children of the corn. Yeah. It does Oops. not, certainly does not have as many layers as um, Wicker Man. Or as much to. No, and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a different thing. Yeah. Not everything. Has to, yeah. Um, and you can, st- I mean, you could still like we we kind of even now like if you if you really want to, you can pick back some things and find some symbolism and yeah. what happened. Because again, it is kind of like the Americana horror, right? Like, yeah, it's very, yeah. So, so that will wrap up our discussion, I believe. Unless you have anything other super pressing to say? No, just you know. So we'll, Children we'll, of the Corn. He who walks yeah. behind the rose. We'll close the book on He Who Walks Behind the Rose um, for now. Now, Miss Mel mentioned earlier, uh, you know, when we were talking about sort of American folk horror, um, that a novel known as Harvest Home was published um, probably like 10 years or so before the Children of the Corn movie and probably like five years before uh, Stephen King wrote the short story. Which is perfect because we're going to round out our series on Harvest Horror with a discussion of the adaptation of that novel, which was um, a miniseries known as The Dark Secret of Harvest Home. Dun, dun, dun. I'm dun. And it stars Betty Davis <laughs> and Roseanne Arquette. Oh. And yes, that's Look right. Her. Uh-huh. And uh, David Aykroyd. And um, other recognizable faces from the time, um, Linda Marsh and John Calvin and what have you. So it's great (laughs) and cheesy and everything you'd want from a 1978 miniseries and surprisingly dark. Nice. Well, it is the dark secret of Harvest Home. It is the dark secret of Harvest Home. Yes. I've never read the the book, um, but I want to. So I don't know the difference. Get it done in two weeks. Get it. It's it, may be, it might be possible. That could be a fun challenge. I'd have to find it. Um, I don't know if it's in print anymore. But um, but be on the lookout for that, kids. Nice. Um, that will be coming at you at the end of this month, um, right before Turkey Day, I believe. Yeah. Um, yeah. This will be. This is. What is it? November or the week 3rd? about a week. November second is when this episode is coming out. So yes, so. two weeks from that. Yeah, the sixteenth. Yeah, excellent. Now, in between that, of course, we would love it if you guys would get in touch with us. Um, what do you think about Children of the Corn? Have you seen all ten of them? Because I haven't. <laughs> I don't want to. <laughs> is there is there a surprise gem in there? Let us know. Um, and if, or if you know where to find a copy of Harvest Home, send it my way. Yeah. Um, and there's lots of ways you can do that. And Miss Mel is going to be terribly kind and tell you those different ways. I will. So you can email at us at splatterchatter669 at gmail.com. You can tweet us splatterchatter666 minus all the vowels if that is too difficult. Splatterchatter, just search it. It pops right up on uh, Instagram. No. Twitter. On Instagram, oh. it's splatterchatter666. On Tumblr, it is splatterchatter.tumblr.com. <laughs> Mr. Gregor's blog is splatterchatter666.blogspot.com. Woohoo! The places. Now, if you um, are interested in showing your support and your love for the show, not only can you get in touch with us, but you could head on over to uh, iTunes and give us a rating and review. That'll keep us in the charts and help people be able to find us when they're looking for horror podcasts. We'll also take any sort of likes, ratings, and reviews on SoundCloud and on Stitcher. Does Stitcher let you rate and review? I believe it does, yeah. I mean, if it does, we would love that. If not, well, okay. (laughs) It's okay. 
Um, if you really, really want to show your support for the show, you could head on over to Patreon. Our Patreon page can be found at www.patreon.com slash spatterchatter666. We have all sorts of information over there about how the show came to be, Miss um, Mel and I, what we want to do with the show going forward, and the different prizes you could get if you were to pledge a monthly financial donation to the show. We've got three different levels for you. Jason, Freddie, and Michael, that's one, five, or $10 commitments a month. Um, jump on this Halloween bandwagon, why don't you? Everybody's talking about it. Maybe you should become a Michael yeah. and, and show your support for the show that way. Now, with all that information in your ears, I think we are done for now. Yeah. Thank you for coming on us with us on this walk through the cornfield. We will see you shortly uh once again for remember the dark secret of harvest home in two weeks and until then uh we want to remind you guys to keep up the creep and we will say au revoir adios and das for